Hey, everybody. How you doing? Well, that's good. You're listening to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right. BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I am the uh, president of the He-Man Woman Haters Club today. It's We have a, a, a bit of a different, you know, the... Uh, uh, from the little rascals, uh, no, no women uh, oh, allowed, okay, no okay. girls allowed. Yeah, that's, no Kelly, no Beautiful. Steph today, and uh, Steve Jaco will be joining us shortly. Perhaps we'll see. Uh, but I am joined right away by the, from theAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. Hey everybody, it's officially summer, and that's great. So. The Flyers still are not really doing anything yet, which is fine. Um, but I guess we're getting into the the, the heart of it. Um, this is the first uh, the first real active month. Obviously, things don't really start to happen, generally speaking, until after the final is done. So that'll end the next you know week and a half once it gets started, which I believe is tonight. And uh, and then after that, we get into draft and free agency and all that fun stuff. So. Still a little bit the calm before the storm, even if I don't know if there's going to be a lot of storm, given the fact they're rebuilding. But hey, maybe they'll sell off some pieces. That'd be cool, right? It would be cool. Uh, you know, Kelly and I earlier this week, uh, a couple days ago, talked to Danny Briere. Uh, you can find that interview in our archives on the uh, podcast feed and at BroadStreetHockey.com. Had a nice conversation with him following up our conversation from last week with Jonesy. And we we asked, are, are you going to have an active offseason? He gave a very standard, listen, I yeah. want to do shit, but takes two. And yes, we gave Chuck Fletcher a uh, a lot of shit for basically saying the same thing when he wasn't able to do literally anything at the trade deadline. Uh, this is a little bit different of a scenario, though. You were, like, trying to just give away JVR for literally whatever you could get and failed to do it. Now Danny Briere is tasked with improving the team or putting in motion things that could improve the team down the line, and it's a little different than, like, hey, cover 50% of JVR's salary and uh, give them to whoever offers you the best fourth-round pick. We don't even care. You know, like a little bit different of a task here. So I understand his answer, but there were some people uh, on the old Twitter, because why wouldn't there be, who took umbrage with that very realistic answer. I'm going to try to do stuff, but you need trade partners to do stuff. Uh, So I wanted to get that out of the way. I want to start with our Jonesy and Danny interviews that we've done over the last couple of weeks. Kelly and I have done them. Um... The first question that I asked, uh, pretty much of, of both, is the question on everyone's mind. Are you just a couple, uh, uh, just another couple of former Flyers? And we got different answers from both, but Danny's answer, Kelly and I both took is like, this is starting to just become the, uh, this is starting to just become the canned answer to this. Why is it a bad thing to be a flyer? And they're they're kind of painting it as uh, it's almost somewhat pandering because like, hey, you Philly fans, the Philly media, it's different. And we get this market and we get this fan base and we can't say someone from outside the organization would. Charlie, how do you accept that answer? So, I mean, I think it's about as good of an answer as they can give because it. It definitely 
like they, they, I think they floated a few possible responses to that in the big press conference when they introduced Danny and when they introduced Josie. And the two main ones that they threw out there were number one, Hilferty threw out the idea of, well, they just, like Keith Jones just happened to be the best guy. Like if we didn't hire him because he was a flyer, he just was the most qualified. And then they threw out the like, well, actually, it's a positive that they're former flyers because they understand. I think they probably came around to the idea that like no one was actually going to buy that first one. That like, yeah, you know, we did this extensive hiring search, and the guy who we hired, the best candidate, just happened to be someone who's always in the building. Who surprise? Yeah, like, <laughs> like nobody. I, I think we, we've said this about Ron Hextall in the past. Listen, Ron Hextall was an up and coming general manager candidate. He was highly regarded in hockey circles after running the Kings AHL affiliate, and they go on, uh, you know, win the Stanley Cup. And if he wasn't Ron Hextall, the dude who attacked Chris Chelios, he's never the GM. Like we we could both of those things can be true. You can have the most highly thought of candidate in the world. He wore a Flyers uniform that made Ron Hextall qualified. Like it was always going to be a former Flyer, and that's something I just kind of have to like come to grips with. Like, oh yeah, I want you know I I, I want a Rolls Royce in my driveway. Can't afford one. Probably wouldn't even fit in my driveway. Like sometimes you just have to live in reality. Reality is it was going to be a flyer. Like, I don't love it, but it's the way things are. Yeah. So I think pivoting to this, well, why is it actually a bad thing that it's a flyer? Because we understand the market. Like, that's the only really, that's the only real response they can provide because there's no way you can sell this idea that like, well, it's just, we were just lucky that the most qualified candidate happened to be right here. So you have to go this route of, well, actually it helps to be a former flyer. And the thing is that there is probably a degree of truth to that in the sense of, you know, you have a better understanding of how to, how to, you know, as you said, pander to the fans, you know, how to deal with the media, how to go around and pop in on WIP, who, by the way, Jonesy worked for for two decades. Like, you just know. You have a better handle on maybe controlling the message than someone who's coming in without any knowledge of the market and the dynamics of the radio stations and the publications and things like that. So there is absolutely an element to that. And one thing that is worth noting, it's worth noting because it doesn't come up that much on this show. You know, I think we in general tend to talk about the fact that the Flyers need new ideas, that they're falling behind the curve in terms of the way other organizations are building their team. Like that is not the consensus view among people who follow the team. There are a lot of people who follow and even cover the team that believe that the reason why the Flyers aren't good anymore is because they've lost their way and because they're no longer being true to what the Flyers actually are, and that's the reason. And while, look, I don't agree with that, but I can't deny that there is a vocal section of the fan base and also people who have influence in media circles that very much buy into that. So for them, this is like, throwing them like fresh meat like this is like they're they're thrilled because this is exactly what they want maybe they don't necessarily want bob clark running the show anymore but they think that it needs to be someone who understands what the flyers should be so to them 
this plays very well. And I, I can't deny that that probably played a role that they know that like, look, do we have influence? Yes, but we are not the only people in the fan base and in the Flyers ecosystem that have influence and the or other people that are going to look at this as very much a positive. And that's, I, I think the difference between the two interviews we did, like Jonesy was speaking a lot more to the, we're going to be the Flyers again and not the Broad Street Bullies. Like Bob Clark is not running the show. Bill Barber is not running the show as far as we know for now. You know, like that part has changed, but we're going to be a part of the city. And that's how we're going to honor the, you know, legacy of Ed Snyder. We're going to, we realize we lost our way and we're going to do things the right way again. But then when I talk to Briere, he's kind of throwing cold water on the like, yeah, we know we need to be a part of the, like, the team needs to reflect the city, all that stuff. But you know what we need? Nathan McKinnon. Like, I, I, I we asked a yeah, really that was good question. Like, a pl- I think Kelly asked the question, like, a player that could be, like, you see is, like, a perfect fit for what you're trying to do. And, like, listen, we, we framed it with the with the Mac Kachuk having the awesome playoffs, and you look at Kachuk and go, yeah, flyer, you know? And Brad Marchand, yeah. you could, Brad Marchand could be a perfect example of a guy like that. And Briere goes, oh, you know, I played with Nathan McKinnon. We could use someone like him. He's big, he's strong, <laughs> he hits, he scores, like, he's fast, like, he's the, one of the best players in the league. Like, oh! All right, Danny. So you do get it. Awesome. We don't need more grit. We need more of the best players. And that was like just one of those little promising things uh, that I took away from that interview. I will say, whoever was, you know, handing him his, his note cards or his notes before the interview, Harper level pandering by just happening to mention Frank Bialois when you're talking. Oh, yeah. Oh, Come on. oh, somebody, somebody definitely gave him, gave him the heads up. Absolutely. hundred oh, percent. There is not a doubt in my mind that someone was like, yo, you're about to talk to a huge, like the only Frank Bialois fan. And we are, st- we are joined now by Steve Jaco. What's going on, Steve? Can you hear us? Number one, I can hear you. I hope you guys can hear me because I have to use the internal computer microphone right now. And I'm having a day, folks. Let me tell you, I'm having a day, but it's a pleasure. He's having a day. Well, welcome, Steve welcome, Steve. Welcome to the uh, to the Broad Street Hockey Radio show uh, from your usual perch at, at Flyperbole. It's good to have you on. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. And yes, I'm having a true South Philadelphia day here where I just had a, a fridge installed by two guys who were cursing each other out the whole time. And uh, yeah. Love that. That's I that'll get us far too sidetracked. I have to, no. Steve, we were just now I was going to say I was going to add to and no, I want to talk about that for hours. Come on my show. We'll talk yeah. about that. Let's talk hockey here. Uh, yeah, Steve, uh, we were just talking about the Jonesy and Danny interviews and I, what I believe to be have to have been some Harper level pandering. Do you think it's a coincidence that Danny just happened to mention Frank Bialois in an interview with me and Kelly? Come on now. He knew what he was doing. He knew 100% what he was doing there. Well, so, so Bill, here's my question. Because it's very, like, to me, it's very clear where this might have come from. Like, 
does because yeah. you obviously have a, a long-standing relationship with Keith Jones. Does Jonesy know how much you love Frank Bylois? I think it came from somebody in the organization who listens to the show regularly. Okay, just, okay. Well, I was curious. Note, I, I don't, a note. I don't know. I don't know the nature of your like your conversations with with Jonesy, so I wasn't sure if like you were constantly bringing up Frank Bialois when talking about the Flyers, and like on the way into the interview, he just like nudged Briere and was like, "Yo, Danny, mention Frank, mention the animal, you gotta do it." <laughs> so if Jonesy and I show, talk about I, mentions Mike Manwalk, then we're up. you know, then we really know somebody's pandering. Mike Madeluck. Oh yeah, we're just now we're just naming some dudes. Trent Clatt, let's go for it. Mike Maniluk was the MVP of that Stanley or that Calder Cup run, man. He was he was he ruled. Uh I I asked both guys like th- there seems to be a little bit of a trend in terms of recent cup winners and uh having a, a top, you know, a number 1 overall pick or a number of top 5 picks and how they can win without that seemingly this isn't going now they've they've all we've been asked for patience and maybe this is going to be a several season long tank job they get you know cutter Gautier at five they're picking seven but it doesn't feel like they're planning on being like the third overall pick for the next three years in a row you know it no, could. not planning on it <laughs> no, 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 that's like we said going into last season this could end up being an accidental tank and it nearly was it nearly was uh but uh, first i want to start with jonesy's answer in his comparison to the hurricanes because it's one charlie has brought up when i've made this point in the past you need top overall picks you need guys in the top five and the hurricanes have been you know perennial cup contenders, 100-point team for the last few seasons without that one guy. True. Do you think it's possible their failings in the playoffs? Now, yeah, they got goalied. What can you do? Sergei Bobrovsky is a 950 save percentage. But maybe, in general, their playoff shortcomings could be chalked up to, like, they don't have that one guy who can just take over a series. I I think it probably plays into it a bit that said i will say that if they have one guy on that roster that is you know a physical talent who can take over games it's sveshnikov who was injured so like you know is is he on the level of mckinnon and mcdavid and the top top tier guys no but like he's real good and it wouldn't shock me at all if like at the age of 25 he takes the leap and becomes that guy so they they kind of had that dude who they got second overall because they won the lottery and he just happened to be injured for this playoff run, which is just bad luck. That said, I don't disagree with you that there might be something like the big thing with the Canes that people bring up rightfully so is that they don't have a lot of high end finishers. They have the puck all the time. They outshoot you. They outchance you. But they don't have a lot of guys who can just friggin' score and create like something out of nothing and just, you know, like McKinnon. McKinnon a couple times last in the in the Colorado playoff run last year, like he just decided with like five minutes left that like now nah, we yeah. ain't losing, I'm scoring, and then he just did it. Like he just went through like four guys and did it, and they won. And like no, the Canes don't have anybody like that. They don't. So yeah, I'm sure that plays into it because like the Lightning do. The Lightning have like three guys like that who just can like flip a switch on one shift to be like nah, 
now nah, I'm scoring, I'm scoring right now. And then they do it because they're just that good. So yeah, like it really helps to have a guy like that. Absolutely. I don't think you absolutely need it. And maybe Carolina just got unlucky because Sveshnikov was hurt and maybe he could have been that guy for them this year. But yeah, it, it certainly helps. Just God, thinking of- almost did that to the, to the Kraken this year. Like he almost single-handedly took yeah. down the Kraken. And yeah. Colorado had a ton of injuries this year. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were lighter coming back. You know, they couldn't keep that team together from last year, obviously. And then the injuries on top of that. It's not a surprise kind of what happened to them if you followed them a lot of the year. I'm just thinking to Tampa's first cup run where they have like a generational scorer who doesn't play, but he plays one game, basically one shift and scores a goal because he's just one of them guys. Who can, oh yeah, I'm scoring. Yeah. Fuck it. Like, just absolutely incredible. It would be nice. Now, Danny's answer to me was a little more concerning because Carolina is awesome. Like, if Carolina gets a consistent goalie, if they are healthy, they should be a cup contending team every year. And they, their regular season record the last few years proves that. Danny cited the Blues, which I've been afraid this whole time that people inside this organization were going to point to the Blues and be like, well, see, you can do it kind of with that depth way. It's like, okay, Tarasenko wasn't at a superstar level at that point, but he's a fucking superstar. They also had Petrangelo, and they got there not because they rallied around Craig Berube. I know that's the story, but it's because from the day Jordan Bennington played the Flyers until the end of the season, you couldn't score on him. And while a hot goalie is a huge part of it, he also stinks. So, like, you kind of just got <laughs> lucky, you know? <laughs> like, like Sergey Bobrovsky doesn't stink. What Florida's doing makes sense. He makes 10 million bucks. He just hasn't been that good lately. Jordan Bennington is not good. He just had an awesome run. Caught everybody off guard. I mean, I guess the Flyers had one team take inspiration from a, a, a social club in their own city and took that personally and just can't let that go. Well, that- I just, and then he also mentioned the Bruins, which, oh man, talk about, uh, if they don't win in 2011, like what do, what do people think of this Bruins? Like this whole run they've had is a major disappointment. <laughs> like, Yeah. I mean, I, I see where you're, where you're coming from that obviously, because in the end it comes down to winning titles that said, like they've been really good oh. for a really long time. And like, look, I've, I've made this point. I make this point every year on Twitter around this time. And every year people get mad at me because of course they do where like, I basically just view the Stanley cup playoffs as a fucking crapshoot, And like, really all you can do is have a top five team for a long time and hope that one or two times, like the bounces go your way and you get lucky. And if you do, you look like a genius. And if you don't, you look like the San Jose sharks. Like to me, like that's just the way it is. And People don't want to accept don't want to accept that because they want to believe that like no it's actually predestined because you had the right mix and all that shit and I I never will believe that. That said, like you know the thing with Boston too, and this really like this is another thing that it's tough to say out loud because people always want to believe that like no it's all about you know smart management and good drafting and all that, but like the Bruins are the Bruins because they got Patrice Bergeron in the second round and they got David Pasternak in the first round and they got Brad Marchand or uh, uh, David Pasternak late first round and they got Brad Marchand. What was he a third round pick or like a late second too? like 
they got where they got because they got super high-end players not drafting in the top three picks. Like, they had one top three pick during this whole run, and it was Tyler Sagan. He ain't even on the team anymore. So, like, (laughs) so, I mean, the whole thing here is, like, yes, being really good at drafting matters, but, like, Patrice, if if Boston thought Patrice Bergeron was going to be Patrice Bergeron, like, if everybody thought that he was going to be taken in round one, like, they would have taken Brad Marchand with their first pick. Like, Sean Couturier goes at seven, but the guy who's, like, him, like, okay, this is your ceiling, like, he goes in the second round, like, yeah. if you knew so it, like, you'd take him early. Yeah, like, like so much of so much of being a successful franchise, just like so much of winning the NHL playoffs, like, it's luck, because you have to draft well, and yes, you can, you can move the needle more in your direction by having good scouts and by having a good process and whatnot, but like again, you know, getting Pasternak with the twenty seventh overall, however, however, where he was taken, like that's luck. Yeah, you have to also be good to actually make the fucking pick. But him being there and him being as good as he ended up being, like that is luck. The thing is, the Flyers have not gotten any of that luck at all None. over the last like what twenty years. It's why maybe Couturier is the last one who's like and Drew Couturier and Drew. That's it. I, it's why I love pointing at the Dallas Stars as this, like, bizarro Flyers. Like, just yeah, the 2017 yeah. draft, look how it could have gone. Like, granted, do we need Jake Art- Ottinger with Carter Hart? No, but, eh, look at that draft. Look how things could have gone for this team. Look where they are. And it's just, yeah, a lot of luck is involved. And that's not to say, you know, management hasn't royally fucked up for the last 15, 20 years, but they also have gotten supremely unlucky. You know, they win the lottery, get the second overall pick. Yeah, that guy's out of hockey, and three, four, and five, they're all fucking superstars. Deal with it. Like, uh, well, well, but but that's that's the thing is, do? like, they just, like, we can say they, they need to draft well, and they do. If they're yeah. going to turn this around, they need to draft well. But, like, sometimes drafting well is just kind of like, hey, you have a good process, you like a guy, and he dramatically exceeds expectations. That's what needs to happen for the Flyers to turn this around. They need one of these third-round picks to be like a Braden point. They do. And like, I hope they can find them. I hope that the changes that Jonesy and Briere make give them a better chance to find that guy and get lucky, like have a good process supplemented by good luck. Because so far, they've had a bad process supplemented by bad luck. And the result is, they're a dumpster fire. So, like, like I hope the process gets better, but just the process getting better isn't going to fix this. They also need a lot better luck, too. Let's take some damn swings, you know? Like, I'm so tired. Like I'm starting to see the rumors, like, oh, they're going to go with the safe pick. I just want to take some goddamn swings. You know, it's, it's like you find a diamond in the rough in the fifth round. All of a sudden, halfway through a season, he's leading your team in goals, and then he's fucking diagnosed with cancer. Like it's unreal, truly unreal. Luck, and listen, the luck again—we always say that the luck of Oscar Lindblom much worse than the luck of the stupid hockey team. But are you fucking kidding me? Like he didn't break his foot. No, he—he's—he's he's got cancer. What? Yeah. How does this well, that, happen to a twenty-three-year-old yeah. like prime athlete? Wild. And then like, uh, oh, you, you've got 
you you got a late blooming goalie prospect who's six foot seven who like hey maybe we might have something here he was the best goalie in the khl oh wait never mind he's getting set to like siberia because russia wants to make a point that their players aren't allowed to leave the country in the middle of a war like this is nothing the flyers did this is like every time it seems like they get lucky then something utterly ridiculous happens to spin it around the complete opposite Truly can't wait for Mishkov to fall to seven to see what happens. Really, really looking forward to that. Uh, <laughs> yep, it's going to be wild. Like maybe this is, maybe this is the start. Uh, did anyone else have any other takeaways from these interviews? I liked what I heard. Obviously, it's... Listen, Jonesy's in that role to make me like what I hear. Danny Briere yeah. comes off as a smart, buttoned-up professional guy, which I think you need uh, when you have, like you know, a prank war champion as the president of operations. But, like, was there anything else you took away from either interview? I mean, I'm trying to remain as optimistic as I can on Danny. I think he's coming off very smart, saying a lot of the right things. I'm just too scarred from this franchise over the past 10, 15 years to to really feel truly optimistic. But I, I, I really do think he he understands a lot of what makes a successful hockey team in the year 2023 in a way that personnel we've had in the Flyers front office in recent years haven't. But yeah, until I see some action, until I see what they do in this draft, I really can't say one way or the other. And I'm trying to temper my expectations either way based on that. Yeah, I think kind of where I'm at is like, I'm trying to keep a completely open mind. And by completely open mind, I mean that I am not going to judge Danny Briere and hold Danny Briere accountable for the mistakes of his predecessors. At the same time, I am also not going to accept, like, just hook, line, and sinker. Everybody's saying, like, how smart of a guy Danny Briere is and, like, you know, that he's going to be the next great GM and, you know, this is, like, he's brilliant. Like, well, yeah, what else are you going to say about the guy you just hired? Well, like, he's not that smart, but, like, he's a good dude, and he scored a lot of goals in the playoffs, like, 10 years ago. So, like, you should be on board. Like, I am literally just going to be like, you got to show it to me. One way or the other, you got to show it to me. I'm very intrigued. Like, this offseason is a really important offseason, not just because it's important for the rebuild, which it is. Like, of course, it's important for the rebuild. It's the first time they're really entering an offseason with the full knowledge that, like, this is a rebuild. It's not this half-in, half-out bullshit. But it's also because of what it's going to tell us about Danny Briere. It's because what it's going to tell us, number one, about his philosophy and his creativity, but also it's going to go a long way towards, like, either – confirming my biggest concern or saying my biggest concern isn't really that much of a concern at all, which is you're basically asking this guy to learn the GM job on the fly. You're asking him to jump in, start rebuilding, know how to negotiate trades, know how to negotiate contracts, know how to deal with agents. And you're just expecting him to be really good at that off the bat. If he shows this summer that he can negotiate a few shrewd contracts with young players, that he can be creative in terms of getting rid of Kevin Hayes and getting something decent back for him, you know, that he can maybe, you know, get some extra draft picks by bringing in some players on not great contracts who like are only under not great, great contracts for like another year or two. Like show me that you know what you're doing. And if he shows that he knows what he's doing and it's not that he's like, like, Oh, well, we got to, like, I guess my big fear here is that, like, 
he's going to have to kind of work his way into the job and he's going to make mistakes in the early going, but like, well, he's a first year GM. He'll figure it out. Like, no, the flyers don't have the luxury of letting him learn on the job. He needs to come in and be good right off the bat. And if he shows that he can do that this summer, it's going to give me a lot more confidence for the rest of this rebuild, because then it proves to me that the learning curve for him isn't that steep. Yeah. I'm glad you made a a point to mention the creativity because it's, the thing we knocked Chuck Fletcher for so much yes. is that he yes. just okay. I can, uh, I, you know, I can sign a guy to a free agent deal. I can make a player for player trade. It was just like nothing ever seemed to really happen outside the box whatsoever. And Dan, I, I know they're asking us. I know they're asking us for patience. Like. I hope it's just because they know this is going to take a while and not because it's going to take a while for the new GM to figure it out. Because you you mentioned Kevin Hayes. Yeah, you can just cover half his salary and dump him for whatever, and you you got him off the books and you cleared space for the coach who, you know, doesn't really fit with this player. Or you could figure out a way to get something back for a guy who still has a lot to give, who is a productive player, who can fit on a good team somewhere else. Like, maybe you have to add something else. Maybe there's, like, maybe it's a three-team trade. Whatever the situation might be, you need to be able to figure this out. Like, Ivan Provorov, is he what we thought he was? Is he a number one defenseman? No. But at two years and under $7 million left for a guy who can play 25 minutes a game, you can figure something out here if you're so inclined. Like, it's not like you shouldn't just have to cover half a salary and dump him because he don't want to be here. Like, you need to be able to figure this thing out. I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Uh, but, yeah, we, we won't know until we see them actually do something. And we have like three weeks for that because the Stanley Cup final is going to be like 17 days long. <laughs> <laughs> what was Chuck Fletcher's most creative move at the end of the day? Like, was it was it that insane Gostas Bear deal to sign to trade and sign Rasmus <laughs> Ristolainen? That might have been it. Oh, my God. It might have been. Got, job, I, I mean, extracting value from Giroux was impressive. Oh, yeah. After he was given one team to work with. Uh, that's the yeah, one. Yeah. You might be right. I actually think a deal that was pretty creative and like, I know it worked out for a year and then obviously like, you know, he just was like, fuck this shit. But like, I do think the Niskanen trade was creative because like you trade Gudis and you end up like you, you move some salary around there. It was basically a one for one deal. And it was for, you were buying low on a guy in Niskanen who like Washington was basically trying to move to clear cap space. And it turned out that, Oh no, He's still got a lot left in the tank and can still be a top pair defenseman on a legitimate playoff team. Like that was a creative move that worked out a lot better than at the time I thought it was going to work out. So I would say that that's the kind of creativity and foresight I want to see from Briere. I'm not going to blame Chuck Fletcher because Matt Niskanen decided like, I don't want to deal with pandemic restrictions. So screw this. I'm retiring now. Yeah, I, I had a lot of recency bias with Chuck Fletcher, and it's good to have a reminder that he wasn't always, you know, Chuck Fletcher. <laughs> I just, oh my God. I'll tell you something I love about the playoffs is how reactive we are. And like, listen, I am, I was always a Radko Gudis fan. Uh, but to hear people talk about him now and his 
18 minutes a game with his, which is fifth out of sixth Florida Panthers defenseman, as if he is the catalyst for this thing. It's it's so funny the lengths anyone will go to to just not go. I don't fucking know. Look at the goalie, like Rod Brendamore just <laughs> trying to twist. Brendy trying to twist himself into a pretzel. Like yeah, I, we didn't get swept even though we did. Like he just is like. What do you want me to say, man? Sergey Bobrovsky stopped every shot. I-, I don't know what to tell you. Like everyone just refuses. Like Matt Kachuk is just—he has the pride and the will to do it. Like, oh, he just didn't have it in Calgary. Like he wasn't this, and now he is. <laughs> yeah, right. Or maybe he just has the opportunity because his team should be losing every game six-three, and they're winning every game two-one. Uh, well, no, no, Bill. Bill, see what you what you don't get is the reason why Makachuk didn't do it in Calgary is because he was being held back by the small, wimpy Johnny Goudreau. That's the obviously, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Hey, listen, there's a reason Columbus. There's a reason Columbus finish. Columbus finished where they finished, uh, and it's definitely not that they have no goalie and they're missing all sorts of other talent and with injuries. <laughs> uh, it, it's because they went out and got Johnny Goudreau. Um, we talked to Danny on Tuesday, Kelly and I did. He did a, an interview on WIP, I believe Saturday morning, with uh, with Sealski and Mac now. And that's when the whole Carter Hart thing came up. And I heard what he was saying right away. Like, I have a phone. It's going to ring. And if the first <laughs> word is Carter Hart, I'm not going to hang up. Uh this turned into a couple of days of content in which, oh, we're trading Carter Hart, baby. Did like did was anyone I guess I wasn't surprised because it's the offseason and we're content creators, but like was there anything that made you think, oh yeah, they're looking to trade Carter? They might. They might, because he said to us, Yeah, if it's a crazy haul, I gotta think about it. Sure. If fucking you know, if Edmonton calls up. And offers you every draft pick forever and Leon Dreisaitl. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. But, like, short of that, I, I don't see it happening. Like, was anyone else surprised by the reaction to what I thought was a pretty innocuous comment? I'm not surprised. It's just, like, no. you give them an inch, they take a mile every time. And that's just how it is with the media landscape, especially in Philadelphia sports. And it's it's sadly not surprising at all. Yeah, I mean, it didn't shock the, the response didn't shock me. That said, Bill, I agree with you. It didn't seem to be nearly as inflammatory no. like the comments he made on WIP no. versus the stories that popped out of it. I just think that like it is noteworthy that he made it clear that Hart is not untouchable because for for a team that isn't in the position the Flyers are in, he would essentially be untouchable, especially given the fact the Flyers have been searching for a goalie for years. It looks like they have one, and now it's like, well, they might actually be willing to trade him. The thing that makes the Hart situation a little bit more complicated, too, which is why I think Breer absolutely wants to keep the door open, is that there really aren't a lot of like actual comps for trading away a goalie like Hart. Like, a goalie who's this good and this young. Like, it, it's not... It, 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 at least not in like the cap era, because like honestly, there just aren't a lot of comps for Hart. Period. Like goalies usually don't have this many games played at this young of an age. So like, there's an element here where Briere kind of has to be like, look, if you want Carter Hart, 
you got to set the standard to me as to what his worth is. Because I can't, like, with Ivan Provorov, like, Briere can point to, like, well, this is what Hampus Lindholm got. This is what Jacob Trickern got. Like, this is what, you know, top pair defensemen who play a ton of minutes get in trades. With Hart, like, there's really not a lot he can point to. So it's sort of like, hey, if you want him, you like, like, dazzle me. Dazzle me with an offer because, like, there's nothing I can say. Like, this is definitely what he's worth. So what what he's worth is what you're willing to pay me. And if it's real good, I'm, I'll listen. I think that was kind of the message you wanted to get across, which is an important message to get across. I was going to say that there is there is a comp for trading a goalie this young, but it's not even comparable. Like, Bobrovsky had one season as a starter. He's a backup his second year. He stinks, and he demands out. Like, yeah, I think he, that's that's the key is that he demanded he'd started out. he'd started 77 games through two years. We're through five years of Carter Hart with 193 starts. Uh, Grant, like he's not 25 yet. He won't be 25 till August. But like even that comp, which is more funny than anything, because, oh, no, there's a comp. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's the other young goalie we gave up on. How's that going <laughs> for everybody right now? Uh, yeah. But it's like even that completely different situation uh you know with giving another goalie 50 fucking million dollars even though no one else was uh, not gonna get into it we have too much now to worry about you can talk for on that like you know it's just fucking insane (laughs) the way this team has been run basically my entire life is like if you handed a lunatic the reins, just an absolute, like somebody with rabies, like you handed someone with rabies the reins to a billion-dollar organization, we're like, have at it, Haas! Like, just fucking ridiculousness nonstop. Uh, But we do have some front office news to talk about. Uh, Just before, a little before we started uh, recording today, we, uh, we got an announcement from the Flyers, promotion of uh alan mccauley he's now assistant general manager riley armstrong is now the director of player development and our old pal nick schultz is the uh, assistant director of player development nick schultz robbed of his best defenseman trophy a few years ago by was it mark streit won it when it should have been oh god yeah yeah i think it was oh yeah don't don't bring that up i remember being so angry that nick schultz was even discussed as a possible candidate for that one schultzy baby armstrong shell armstrong excuse me shell samuelson john riley and mike o'connell have been relieved of their duties uh they name alan mccauley assistant gm but don't say anything this was the most surprising thing to me didn't say anything about brent flair uh, as the AGM, odd. I don't know. Two I mean, I don't think it's the same position. I, I don't think it's odd because, like, there are going to be multiple assistant GMs. Like right now, there are now three assistant GMs. The assistant GMs are Brent Flair, Barry Hanrahan, and now Alan McCauley. So, oh, I like, you can name Hanrahan. as yeah, you you can name as many people assistant GM as you want. What I do think, like, so McCauley was the director of player personnel. That was that was his his job before today's announcement. So he's basically just getting a promotion and being given more duties. So now he's going to be running the pro scouting department and also the Lehigh Valley Phantoms hockey ops staff. This is the only thing that's interesting to me about this. So it's just I think more that the roles are being more clearly delineated. So the way it was before was that basically 
Brett Flair was, for lack of a better term, Chuck Fletcher's consigliere. Like he was his number two, his second in command. He managed the draft. He managed like essentially developing all the prospects and things like that. Now it seems like, and I I haven't heard anything yet to tell me that Flair is going to be let go. I get the sense that they're very happy with the talent that he's been able to bring because he's always pretty much run Fletcher's drafts, that they're happy with the talent that Brent Flair has brought in in these drafts. They like their pool of young players, their, their current prospect pool. So I don't get the sense they feel like they have to dump Flair and get somebody new to work under Danny. They know him and him and Brent, the Danny and Brent, they like each other. They work well together. So I don't think there's any urgency to get rid of him there. There's certainly no urgency to get rid of him before this draft, but I don't, I don't get the sense that he's even going to be let go after that. However, it does seem like a lot of this is, is structured around really turning Macaulay into the player development guy. And like Flair used to do a lot of work, with the Phantoms. Like he more or less ran the Phantoms because running the Phantoms was like running the prospects. Well, maybe now that's going to be a little bit more Macaulay's range. And Flair is going to be asked almost entirely now to focus on like get us the prospects in the pipeline. And then Macaulay and our player development, player personnel, that whole area, like that's what they're going to focus on. You don't have to worry about it as much anymore. So at this point, folks, the program we were using to record the podcast decided, nah, I don't really want to record any more of this. So, unfortunately, that's the end. But before we go, here's a few words from Bill. The Clear Rum and BSH sale is live. You get 10% off your order with code BSH2023. That's BSH2023 for the entire month. And a portion of your sale will uh, come back to us to support your favorite Flyers community. I assume that's talking about us. Uh, <laughs> check out the uh, Clear Rum products. They are absolutely delicious. Go to klyrrum.com slash shop, and you can get 10% off your order with the code BSH2023. Uh, Clear Rum was at our tailgate party, and uh, their products are fantastic. Highly recommend. You know, these are... Some real, uh, some real good beach accompaniments. Uh, I would say any any sort of sun drinking you're going to be doing over the next couple of months, you're going to want to stock up on clear rum. You can get ten percent off your order with the code BSH twenty twenty three. All right, uh, that will do it for us. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out, uh, my guys Steve and Charlie. Thank you for joining this special episode of the uh, No Girls Allowed Broad Street Hockey Radio. Make sure you come to the draft party on June 28th. It'll be at Sports and Social at the uh, Live Casino in South Philly, right in the sports complex. Don't miss it. It's always a great time. All right, that'll do it. My name is Bill Matz. Have a great week, Philly.